Jordan, did you tell him the big news from this last? All right, so uh, Jordan forgot to tell you, he got engaged uh, over Thanksgiving, so uh, pretty. We, uh, when, I, when I saw him right before Thanksgiving, he told me, he said, yeah, I'm going to get engaged over uh, Thanksgiving break, and we're gonna, it's going to happen at Silver Dollar City the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I said, I'm going to be at Silver Dollar City the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So we're walking. If you've been to Branson, there's Branson Landing where all those stores are out there on the riverfront. So this is probably Monday night. I'm walking along Branson Landing, and there comes Jordan with his girlfriend, not yet fiancé. And I felt so awkward because I can't say, like, hey, I hope Wednesday night goes well for you because there's girlfriend, not yet fiancé, standing right beside him. So I mumbled awkwardly for a little bit, and then... It got so cold at Silver Dollar City that my family checked out, and we didn't actually make it to his proposal that we were hoping to make it to. So anyway, but it went well. She said yes. All right, good deal. That's awesome. There's a lot of people at Silver Dollar City for them not to say yes. So that was pretty, uh, pretty gutsy for, for him to pull that off. He said that his family has gone to Silver Dollar City 23 years in a row the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, that day before Thanksgiving. I guess that's their family tradition, so... Anyway, it's pretty, pretty neat. So what we're going to do tonight is for the four years that, that I've been here as the pastor, on the kind of first Wednesday night of December, I've done what's called, what we're calling a state of the church address. So no walking down the middle aisle for you to, uh, you know, shake my hand and please don't interrupt me with applause multiple times. There won't be a lot of things to, uh, you know, to, to that, but uh, if you're a guest of ours, this is really a lot of information, kind of peeling back the curtain for you a little bit on where our, our church is, where we've been, where we're going, so this is a great opportunity to learn about Emmaus. Also, I'll send out an email, a church-wide email tomorrow with this document attached. Plus, if you go on our website, I have the last four years worth of these addresses. So you could see uh, where we've kind of been over the last couple of years. And if you really are struggling to sleep and you want to read those through, uh, what you'll find is, man, he's really slow making decisions because I went back and read like year one and year two, and I'm like, oh, we're still talking about some of the same things. That's okay. That's all right. That kind of shows God's work uh, in our church and what's happening. So I want to share that with you uh, tonight. I'll break script several times, and people who are listening to the podcast online can kind of catch a few things that we're saying tonight. But this is something that put a lot of prayer into and, and a lot of work into, and I hope that this is good for our church. I hope this is a, a good guide of celebrating where we've been and then talking about where we're going to go. Before we do that, there was a half sheet of paper that hopefully you had a chance to, to pick up. It has a little bit of a holiday calendar on the back that, that might be of interest to you if you're just trying to keep track of dates and things that are happening. Immediately after our time tonight, if you have any questions about the 2020 budget, proposed budget, We'll have a short meeting over here in room 200. You don't have to stay for the whole thing if you don't want. If you just have a couple of questions you want to ask about the budget, feel free to do that because next Wednesday night during this time, we have our annual meeting where we vote on the budget for 2020. So know that that will happen 
next week, and we don't have any discussion around that in that business meeting. We want to deal with those questions before we get there. So if you have questions, stay after tonight. Come early Sunday morning. We'd love to be able to talk with you about, about any of those things going on. Also, on that half sheet of paper, I tried to list a couple of prayer requests that I was aware of, things that are going on in our church family. Uh, those of you who know Margie Lewis, Paul, who passed away a few, uh, I guess a couple of months ago now, Margie's living up in Edmond. I had a chance to see her today. Uh, just continue to encourage her, pray for her. She's really lonely. She's not loving living on the north side of the city with her friends being down this way. It's been hard for her, but just pray for, pray for Margie and encourage her. Um, anybody else that you've reached out to this week or prayer requests, things you know going on that we could, we need to mention tonight, things that you're aware of? anything off other than that but all right well let me pray for us and we're going to jump into this document and i'll read a little bit break script read some more so let's pray together right now God, i pray that tonight would be an act of worship god that this is not just uh, a chance to hear a document or an address, and it's definitely not about me or any one of us. It's about what you're calling us to do, who you're calling us to be. Um, we want to be people who walk by faith. So God, I pray that that would be clear in how we live as a church. God, thank you for the gift of a local church. Thank you for what it means to be connected uh, to the lives of those around us as we seek to live for you. God, thank you for the great relationships we have with other churches in this area and what it means to be able to rally together for your kingdom and what you've called us to do. So, God, we pray for those churches. Thank you for the ministry that happens around the building tonight. God, the ministry to preschoolers and children, to youth, the music ministry and all the work that they're putting into preparing for Christmas. God, thank you for them. God, we do pray that everything that we do tonight and the way that we live our lives each day would be honoring to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. You may be a listener and you just want to listen, or if you want to read along and you picked up a copy of this document, feel free to kind of track with me. It's not going to be word for word, but you can kind of track with me a little bit there. So for the past couple of years... I've started this address with some quotes from longtime Southern Baptist researcher Tom Rainer. And specifically, these quotes are from an article that Rainer wrote about pastoral tenure and how a pastor's time in a church develops. Here's what he said Beyond the first year, the church begins seeing the imperfections in the pastor's ministry. And I love this next line, and are less afraid to point these out to him. And the pastor finds out that promises from the congregation, especially promises of being open and receptive to change, were unfulfilled. It's impossible to meet everyone's expectations, and during the second and third year, both the members and pastor easily become disillusioned and dissatisfied. The next paragraph talks a little bit about years two and three. I'm going to skip down to the, what will be the fourth paragraph on your paper. Then, Rainer goes on to call years four and five the Crossroads Part One. He says, this period is one of the most critical in the relationship. If the conflict during years two and three was severe, the pastor will likely leave or be forced out. Indeed, these years, four and five, are the most common years when a pastor leaves the church. 
On the other hand, if the pastor and the church manage the relationship well, they can often look forward to some of the best years ahead. In fact, Rainer names year 6 through 10 the fruit and harvest period. So I just finished year 4 at Emmaus. So we're in that critical period, the crossroads part 1, and I feel the weight and the hope of that period. I sense it's a critical time for our church, but I don't feel compelled to run away from the challenges or stop pushing ahead. In fact, I feel like we're just getting started. I have a lot to learn and even more room to grow, but I hope to stay in the game through this crossroads, praying for the fruit and harvest ahead, whether it's year 6 or 10 or even beyond. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we move through this crossroads to what God has for us? Well, first off, we get there by not missing what God has already done and is doing right now. Plus, in assessing the past and present, we need to make sure we have a realistic picture of where we are so we can talk about steps moving ahead. So tonight, we're going to celebrate the past, assess the present, and prepare for the future. Celebrating year four. So one of my favorite things at Emmaus is hearing the testimonies of people being baptized. Whether it's a college girl recognizing her need for the Lord after years of doubt, a new husband setting the course for his family through faith and baptism, or even a young man being baptized in an undisclosed location around the world because of ministry partnerships we support. I pray God will overflow our church with these stories in the years to come. Other people trusted in Christ this past year and are planning to be baptized soon. Just recently, a few of our members were going door to door in a local neighborhood. At one house, a young lady was standing on her porch and her husband came out as our guys approached. After exchanging names, the lady said, what do I need to do to be baptized? One of those stories like straight out of the New Testament. She just went straight to, how do I be baptized? She said she'd accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, but was looking for a church to join and a place to be baptized. And we actually had some people go back to her house today uh, to check in with her about, about her relationship with the Lord. A few months ago, we sent a mission team to the Middle East to host a vacation Bible school for missionary kids whose parents had come together for training. Our team didn't just babysit. They sold, so, told stories, built relationships, and shared the gospel. In the process, a few of the little kids were saved. The parents and grandparents of these kids are leaders within the International Mission Board and have already connected with Jim about other mission opportunities for Emmaus in the future. Um, our staff actually did a video conference call with the dad of one of these kids who was saved at this little uh, mission training time, and they were, they were so excited. And one of the grandpas of the kid is the top vice president for the International Mission Board, which is a pretty neat uh, Pretty neat connection. Here's a story from Courtney about salvation in the kids' ministry. So we were just a few weeks out from kids' camp this summer and out of spots. A family inquired about two kids attending, and at the time, we had to put them on a waiting list until we could confirm additional beds. We were able to open up the two extra spots for the girls to go, but both girls ended up with illness and injury within the first few days, one resulting in a trip to the ER for evaluation. All results came back clear, and she was able to return to camp. What we didn't realize at the time, this was actually God's way of giving this child an opportunity to ask lots of questions about God to two of our sponsors in that van ride to the ER. Later that week, this child prayed and asked Jesus to become her Savior. God knew how much she needed to be there at camp, and he made a way for her to be there. I'm grateful for the leaders who invest in these kids at camp, but also throughout the entire year. And then Courtney says, when we're faithful to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit is faithful to do his work in changing lives. 
This next story isn't about baptism, but it's another way God is moving among our students. Jaron told me about one of our girls who sustained an injury in volleyball that was supposed to be fairly minor, but turned into something that looked like it could stop her from playing ever again. The lingering effects of the injury impacted her education and made it hard to do normal daily functions. This season of hardship gave her time to begin focusing more on God and his word. Her small group and adult encouragers rallied around her, and this young lady shared how she learned not to take things for granted. She told Jaron, Every day we take God's grace for granted. He doesn't have to love us and offer salvation, but he does. We can't take that for granted. So we are driven by these types of stories. Even as we talk about our current situation and mention, mention some potential challenges and weaknesses, know that I'm speaking from a place of celebration and excitement about God's work. So hear this next line. All of us, but me more than anyone, can be guilty of focusing on the negative and missing the positives. So Sunday morning, 10 amazing things can happen, and I hear one negative thing. You know what I think about the rest of the day? Oh, yeah, the one negative thing, and not miss the 10 positives that, that happen. Not that any of you are like that or in any way, but, uh, so, but the positives are everywhere, and, and we thank God for this. Okay, section three, assessing the situation. By the way, if you came in late and didn't get one of these documents, they're on that back table. There should be enough for one, one per family. So uh, section three, assessing the situation. So where are we now, warts and all? To answer this question, we're going to look at some numbers, but we also want to look behind the numbers and think about some deeper issues related to spiritual health and future direction. So let's do the objective number part first. When it comes to numbers, let's start with the positives. We continue to have impressive turnout for VBS, Fall Fest, Kids Camp, United Weekend, Youth Falls Creek. VBS and Fall Fest attract many families not connected to Emmaus, including several families who list no church affiliation. What we have to get better there is the follow-up and how do we connect those families to, to Emmaus. But um, also, student events such as Falls Creek and United Weekend draw many students from the area. Here's an interesting side note. I was on a conference call a couple of weeks ago, and the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee has identified five priorities for the next couple of years, kind of for the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole, one of those priorities was focusing on increasing baptisms among 13 to 19-year-olds because apparently churches across the nation have seen a sharp decline in teenage baptisms over the past few years. Needless to say, we don't want to draw back in sharing the gospel with kids, teenagers, and their families. So as a whole, here's where we were for this last year. As a whole, Emmaus has had 13 people baptized so far this year, and we've added 44 new, new members. Both of those numbers are down from last year, but not significantly so. We've averaged 536 people in the Sunday 10.30 a.m. worship service compared to 550 last year, and a 602 total average on Sunday morning when you take into account kids, which is down from 617 last year. So again, slight but not significant decreases. Through 11 months, we had 200, we've had 296 guests on Sunday morning. That number is important because church analysts suggest that a growing church, a solid, robust, growing church, should have as many guests in a year as they have regular attenders averaged on Sunday morning. So in other words, with an average total of 602 people on Sunday morning, to grow significantly, we would like to see 602 guests over the course of the year. So we've seen about half of that 
over the course of this last year when you take into account uh, guests who have come. Now, hear this next part clearly. In church, we need a balanced view of numbers. Numbers can be a dangerous mark for church success, especially when numbers are pursued in a way that is unbiblical or spiritually unhealthy. I don't want to seem discouraged about decreased numbers and fail to celebrate 13 baptisms and 44 new members. It's quite possible that the slight decline over the past year and a half or so has actually made us stronger and healthier for the long term. Plus, church growth, like personal spiritual growth, is not usually up and to the right. It's often more like a chaotic loop with drops and rises that we hope will ultimately move upward over time. And on top of that, theologically, we realize that while we might plant and water, it's ultimately God who gives the growth. At the same time, we don't want to hide our head in the sand because numbers mean people. People who need to become and then grow as disciples of Jesus. Theologically, we must remember that faith in God does not mean we are passive. Biblical faithfulness should create urgency and action to see more and more people follow Jesus. Just think of the multiple times in Acts where the growth of the church is mentioned as God's spirit moves and the church grows spiritually and numerically. All right, so those are some numbers, but what about things that are harder to count? Where are we as a church when it comes to spiritual health and internal dynamics? Uh, there are many things to be proud of. Physical care for one another and people in the community, our relationship with other churches and with the local school systems, consistent attendance and giving, a solid staff, a growing welcome team, new mission partnerships, the list could go on of, of these things that are going on. But just like the numbers, there are things we need to pay attention to. I'm going to mention four. But before I do, two quick caveats about this list. First, these factors, so these next four things I'm going to mention, these could still be in place if our numbers were going up. So they're not directly connected to the numbers, but they certainly impact the numbers. Also, there's a good chance you might list different things than me, and I'd love to hear those. Honestly, I would. I'd love to hear your feedback on that. Uh, but as I've prayed for our church and stayed up late working on this document, uh, these are what stand out to me. All right, so this is where we're trying to pull back the layers a little bit and say, what's happening underneath the surface? What's happening behind the numbers? Number one, we have to think about staff effectiveness and that feeling of responsibility. So when I think about where we are, I need to begin by looking at myself. God, let me check my own heart and my own life first. And we have to do the same thing as the staff. We have an amazing staff. So nothing about this section is saying that we don't have an amazing staff. But part of being an amazing staff is that we realize if things aren't going the way we want, we refuse to shift the blame. So we don't blame the church. We begin by looking inside. We ask the hard questions. We have candid conversations. We take responsibility. And then we just find ways to move ahead together. A healthy, wise, hardworking staff should position a church for both internal and external growth. So as a staff, we want to be good models of sharing the gospel, inviting people, living a life of gospel urgency. In other words, we can't ask you to do things we're not willing to do ourselves. And we commit to lead with open hands. None of us wants to protect a program, event, or ministry that isn't helping our church do what God has called us to do. So when we assess our situation, know that your pastors and staff leaders want to begin with ourselves. Are we doing the work of equipping the saints for works of ministry? of coaching, training, facilitating, of keeping watch over the souls of people, of building up others and not trying to do everything ourselves. This is an imperfect process, but we want to get better and make sure we're focused on things that make the most kingdom impact. 
So number one, when we look at numbers and think about the church, know that we're trying to start right here. We've got to take seriously what that means as a staff. Number two, we have to confront individualism or this not feeling connected. So I hear from people, both newcomers and long-timers, that they sometimes have a hard time feeling connected at Emmaus. Now granted, getting connected is a two-way street. So we could offer multiple avenues for somebody to get connected, and yet a guest or member still has to take personal responsibility to jump in and get involved. But I hear about this struggle with connection enough that it has my attention. Connection can mean a lot of things, but it usually has to do with forming relationships and finding a place to serve. I love the way that Craig Rochelle, uh, pastor at Life Church, says this. He says that people want to be known and needed. So what does it mean to be connected? I'm known and I'm needed. Those are those signs of connection. When it comes to connections, we have to ask the hard questions. Why do people struggle connecting at Emmaus? What prevents people from plugging in? Why don't people always feel needed or known? These questions may take years to untangle, but we want to focus on them in the days ahead. When we think about Emmaus, do we think about several talented individuals Or do we think about a group of people working together, always looking out for one another and resisting the pull of isolation and individualism? So that's one of those factors we want to think about as a church. Number three, busyness or feeling overwhelmed. Um, I get the sense that a lot of people are busy and feel overwhelmed, not only with life, but sometimes with church. Again, there's an element of personal responsibility here. Each person must be willing to say no at the right time so they don't become overwhelmed. But we don't want to create a church culture in which people feel so overwhelmed with information, options, and requests that they become frustrated or disconnect. Most of us in everyday life are bombarded with too much information and too many requests. Just think social media, and that'll take care of you there. Pretty soon, all this information just becomes white noise that we filter out. Plus, we get distracted from what's most important. We have more options than ever, yet often we feel paralyzed or worthless. And we have more contact with people than ever, especially online, yet we feel lonely and disconnected. Our hope is that the church would not contribute to these feelings, but give you a way to battle and overcome them. We're going to work hard at our calendar and our communications this next year to help you feel focused, not overwhelmed. Among several strategies, we're counting on the full development of our worship center lobby and mission center to be a huge step forward. Construction delays have pushed this back by a few months, but when finished, the mission center and lobby should provide clear ways to know what's going on and how to get involved. Uh, Just a quick note about the lobby. First off, Sunday night, being able to do the Christmas music in the lobby, that was a really neat connection. That was a lot of fun to use the lobby uh, in, in some different ways. Secondly, when we were planning this project last year to redo the lobby, I was really hoping to be ready by Easter. I meant Easter 2020, apparently, not Easter 2019. So we were aiming for Easter 2019 to be ready. I think Easter 2020, we're going we're gonna to have it. So uh, we've had a few delays, but it, it's coming. You, the cool thing is, is we've actually sort of rolled out the lobby in phases. You've been able to my, my thought was like one Sunday we would just have this big grand opening, but you've got to see the progress. It's been nice. We've, we've heard good feedback, and it's, it's, it's really looking good. So we hope that will be helpful. Okay, the fourth subjective thing here is this earthly perspective or feeling apathetic. So it's hard to know how to term this final factor, but I sense it at times in my own life, and it's something we need to fight against as a church. If we're not careful, 
each of us can lose sight of eternity and become apathetic or uncaring about spiritual things. Or without meaning to, we even lapse into a consumer view of church where our first question is, what's in it for me? The only way to battle against this is with prayer and personal spiritual renewal. We have to battle against the spiritual apathy that can set up shop in our hearts and minds. We want to fight complacency and bitterness or even the sense that nothing matters, no one cares about me, what I do doesn't really matter. Instead, we're called to be the body, the bride, the temple, the family, the church of God, reminding each other that what we see now is only part of the story. We want to build a church where people care deeply about God's glory and the eternal spiritual health of others. When we think and live this way, we will lay down our preferences, lay down our pride, and do whatever it takes to see others know and follow Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of where we are as a church. Now let's talk about moving ahead. Um, okay, so that's an assessment of where we are now. Exciting stories, slight decline in attendance, a few under-the-surface dynamics that require attention, but overall, solid. How do we move forward? First, to move forward, we need to refocus on the basics, the fundamentals, the blocking and tackling, the chord charts, the blueprints, call it what you want, but <laughs> moving forward doesn't mean coming up with a whole bunch of new things. It means making sure we do the basics really well. Then second, we need to consider some hard questions and changes that might propel us forward, once again acknowledging that forward moment, movement comes only from God's spirit according to his will. All right, first thing, don't throw, any, throw anything at me, but the first basic, we exist to proclaim and display Jesus up, in, and out. I know you might get tired of hearing it, but don't miss the basic purpose of this phrase. We exist means that church isn't I, but we. We are in this together. We live out the one another's of Scripture. We're connected to all believers everywhere, but the New Testament emphasizes the importance of gathering with a local church. We don't attend church. We are the church. The more you can help your kids and grandkids understand that, the more that will shape their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We don't attend church. We are the church. Proclaim is what we do with our words. We speak about Jesus he alone is the hope of the world. One way we gauge success at Emmaus is how much people talk about Jesus. Display is what we do with our actions. Our words and actions needs to, need to match. We want to live in a way that shows we're followers of Jesus. And scripture says people will know this by our love. Our lives should glorify God and point people to Jesus, not draw attention to self. And all of this is based on 2 Corinthians 4-5. What we proclaim, this is our church verse if you're new to Emmaus, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Or as we often say, we have nothing to prove, no one to impress, only Jesus to serve. And we do this up, in, out. My hope is that these terms, up, in, and out, will provide guidance for your Christian life and for our church don't miss this next part because I really do hope this is helpful for you. If you ever think, what should I be doing with my time? Or what should I be involved in at church? Those terms are your guide, up, in, and out. Up means passionate worship. So are you regularly gathering for worship with the church from a heart that overflows from worship on a daily basis? In is transformational discipleship. Are you getting God's word into your life? Are you getting involved in the lives of others, and are you finding ways to use your gifts to serve the church? 
and then out is evangelistic mission. So are you supporting the mission efforts of the church and personally sharing the gospel with others through your words and actions? So a section here on up, Jordan, who leads the music for us, he did a great sermon on worship a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, and uh, he talked about how worship is our response to the revelation of God. So God reveals himself to us, he shows us himself, and then worship is how we respond back to God, who he is and how he's revealed himself to us. Worship is only partially related to music. Music is one way we respond to God, but at its core, worship is a continual response to God in every area of life. So when we gather on Sunday, we gather as worshipers. We gather as those who worship throughout the week, but we also gather as those who are weak, who struggle, who are hurting and distractive. So ideally, when we gather for worship, it's an overflow of what happened during the week. But let's be honest, just as often, the worship gathering is our chance to refocus and be reminded of how great God is and how good the message of Jesus is. So, what are the basics of up at Emmaus? When you think about Emmaus and you think about worship, what are the basics? We refuse simply to show up to listen or consume. Instead, we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus who seen not only to God, but also with and to one another. We not only pray silently and privately, we look for chances to pray with others or call out with them in praise to God. We're constantly looking for those who are new or disconnected. So when we walk into the worship center, our first glance isn't at our seat, but who is new and sitting alone. What happens before and after the worship service is just as much an act of worship as any song we sing or money we give. And we are dedicated to prayer and praise, the word and the ordinances. Okay, the second thing, so that's up. What does in mean? In is about how God transforms our lives from the inside out. So we refuse to practice a form of religion that looks good on the outside, but fails to impact our hearts and minds. So in means first in the word. I want to get the word, I want to get in God's word, and I want to get God's word in my life. If you go to the next page, so it's in the word, it's in a group. We grow spiritually when we're in a relationship with others. This usually starts with a Sunday school class. That's probably the first place most people get into a group. Uh, but if you read the article Jeff wrote in this month's bulletin about small groups, and you wonder, hey, what's, a, what's going on with a small group? Small group is just our category for where you get together with people when you have a feeling, you know what, Sunday school is important, but let's be honest, in 50 minutes or 55 minutes, there's only so much you can do in those groups. And, and I want to get to know people more. I want to connect with people on a deeper level. Small groups might be a Sunday night gathering at somebody's house. It might be at a coffee shop in the middle of the week. It might be a couple of people who get together outside in a completely different situation. But it's just another place to connect with people and, and get to know them. So in God's word, in a group, and then the third thing is in use. As God transforms us, he provides spiritual gifts that allow us to serve and build up the church. When people serve, they build relationships. Don't miss that. If you feel like, man, I'm not really getting to know anybody, the way you get to know people is when you serve with them. It's just the way it happens. Um, so we want to make sure every member has a place on Sunday morning, in their group, during the week, it does not matter, just a place to make an impact for God's glory the good of others, and the joy they get out of it. 
So the end basics are, am I consuming and studying God's word? Am I getting in God's word and getting in my life? Am I in a group of other believers? And am I using my gifts and talents to build up the church? So up, in, out. I'm not going to read the first two paragraphs of out because this is the information that Jim continues to put in front of us. This is about how do we get connected? How do we find those places to serve? The mission center and the lobby is going to be ground zero for how to do this. Um, the third paragraph is something Jim has talked a lot about with me, uh, and, and he's really emphasizing, but under out that bottom paragraph on that page, when you come to a church gathering or event, try not to come alone. Invite someone to come with you who isn't a Christian or who's a very new Christian. Then invest in that person's life so they'll turn around and do the same thing for others. When you go out on a church service project, try not to go alone. Someone who is not a Christian might love to participate in the service or mission project, and in the process, you can share why you do what you do. So you share your faith as you're going on mission to share your faith. You just bring people to do those things with you. All right, so that's the basics at Emmaus. We exist to proclaim and display Jesus up, in, and out. Now let's talk about like a little further down the road. So moving ahead beyond the crossroads. So with those basics in place, let's think about some decisions and plans for the next year or more likely the next three to five years. Doug Melton, uh, the great pastor up at Southern Hills Baptist Church up the road, he gave me four, year, four words that he uses for planning, personnel, programs, property, and people groups. Those are helpful words tonight, plus they all start with P. So don't so blame Doug for the alliteration because he's a popular pastor who probably prefers purple pleated pants when he passionately preaches. <laughs> yeah, you like that? There you go. That's out of control, isn't it? So make sure Doug is aware that I, that I said that. So Doug is a fashionable guy, so he probably does wear purple pants when he preaches. That's a cool dude. So, All right, so let's talk about personnel. We're just going to take each of those words that Doug gave us for planning, and we're going to talk about one facet of how that impacts Emmaus. Okay, personnel. Our primary goal in 2020 for personnel is to solidify the music leadership position so we no longer need to operate in limbo. And I realize that solidify might not even be the right word there because it makes it sound like we're trying to set something in stone and never change it, but we know church and life don't work that way. Uh, so we sometimes joke. These next couple of paragraphs I read at the business meeting back in August. So if you were here for that or you got any of that, that's kind of the same information. But we sometimes joke that David must be close to setting a record for longest music director interim at a church. If you don't know, David Hillis has served as the interim music leader for eight years, plus two years before that as the music associate at Emmaus. There are numerous reasons why this period has lasted so long. But suffice it to say that David has ministered consistently and excellently. We owe it to him and his family and to Emmaus as a whole to seek God's direction and make decisions about the future. And as we talked with David about this plan, his response was exactly what you'd expect, supportive, wise, and kind. To be clear, the discussion over the next few months will not be should we keep David or not. No one benefits from that conversation, and that question actually misses the whole point of what we're seeking to do. So our prayers and conversations will focus on developing a plan for musical worship in our church and then identifying who, maybe one person, maybe a multitude of people working together, who will lead that plan. So for now, we've worked on putting together a basic profile for music leadership, but the details remain undetermined. 
because of this, and I would beg for your understanding on this next line, um, because I, I need you to hear this. Because of this, I'd ask for your trust when I say there are no hidden agendas related to what I've presented. We honestly don't know where God will lead us, but we believe now is the time to take the next step and move out of this long-term interim season. Frankly, making decisions about musical leadership, programming, and style are scary. Emotions run deep when we talk about music, and we know these discussions can be difficult for a church, and they impact both members and guests. However, as I said earlier, we don't feel it's fair for David or for our church if we further delay this process. So the goal in 2020 is very simply that when 2021 rolls around, we're not having these same type of conversations. Though inevitably, other conversations will rise up to take their place. As we go along, we'll keep you updated, but for now, we just want to commit together to worship in spirit and truth each week as we sing, pray, fellowship, study scripture, and respond to God's grace. 5.2, second P word, programs. Our key decision for programming in 2020 isn't one specific program, but it impacts all programming because we need to decide whether or not to remain in only one Sunday morning worship service. You might say, Owen, did you not listen to the beginning of your presentation? We're putting 540 people in a room that seats almost 1,100. That sounds crazy to go to two services at a time like this. Good point. Let me explain why we're considering this. When you track the attendance numbers in Emmaus, they show a steady upward trend from the mid-90s through the mid-2000s, peaking around 2008-2009. Attendance then began to turn downward in 2009. The downward trend in 2009 could have been for several reasons, but it coincides exactly with when we left multiple services and moved into the new, bigger building. While the hope was that one service in a larger building would bring unity and probably growth, we often find ourselves spread out in the building with minimal interaction in the worship center. Guests are often found sitting alone, and while the stadium seating might be preferable for some people, it's easy to become disconnected and distracted up there. Plus, to the people on stage, you feel like you're a million miles away. Multiple services are complicated, but they allow more people a chance to serve and more opportunities for people to engage. The trend in churches today is sharply towards smaller buildings and more services. God's work in a church is often counterintuitive, and it may well be that we need to divide in order to multiply. In recent meetings with two older pastors, both told me that a consistent key to their church growth was starting new services and groups. Now before moving on, let me be crystal clear. A move to two worship services is far from certain. In just a few weeks, our staff will get away for an annual planning retreat. One of our main topics will be whether or not to pursue this change. There are obviously reasons for and against. Just pray that we will use faith and wisdom in this decision. So don't go starting any rumors about, uh, section five should come with a huge caveat. Nobody's getting rid of David. We're not going to two services, and we're not breaking ground on a building, okay? So, uh, which takes us to 5.3, property. Our key property goal for 2020 is the establishment of a campus master plan with particular attention to locating and building a new preschool children's building. Again, you might say you're even crazier now. When first you're trying to move us to two services, now you want to build. As with two services, this decision is miles from being finalized, but let's talk through some of the pros and cons. As I understand it, when decisions were being made 12 to 15 years ago for a new building at Emmaus, there was some debate about whether a children's building or a worship center was needed first. The worship building was built first, and say what we want about that decision, but this building allowed our church to host elementary schools after the tornadoes, 
and it's given us a connection with the community we might not have otherwise. However, we're now 10 plus years down the road in debt free, but there's no children's building in sight. A key reason that First Baptist planted Emmaus in the 1980s was to reach the neighborhoods they hoped to grow up around this area. In many ways, their vision has come to fruition, and we want to make sure we don't miss out on a chance to minister effectively to families in our area. It's true that our staff and volunteers have done a great job accommodating families and their kids in the current building. But we shouldn't miss that when families visit, we have to take their kids to the oldest building on campus. And the nursery is quite far from the main building, which is not ideal for moms. Maybe most significantly, the older building has multiple access points and narrow hallways, neither of which is good for security, especially the multiple access points. Add to this that the weekday Compass Preschool has taken off in a big way and shows no signs of slowing. The obvious con to building right now would be the cost required at a time when overall attendance is slightly down and our finances are healthy but not extravagant. I acknowledge this challenge, and we don't want to rush into something foolishly, but when I ask myself if we can afford to build right now, another question comes to mind. Can we afford not to build? If not now, when? If not soon, why not? Please pray with us fervently this year as we establish a master plan and seek God's direction about whether or not we should pursue a giving campaign in the building. It scares me to say that, but I know we can't kick the can too far down the road on a key decision like this. Okay, fourth P, people groups. What we mean by people groups is simply those people with whom God has given us favor and connections. It's another way of saying, where should we invest missions money and ministry teams? A key goal in 2020 is that we're working toward a mission celebration in the fall where we would bring in missionaries we support and use them to train us to make an impact in our neighborhoods and the nations. We also want to continue paying attention to points of brokenness in our community and how God might call us to shine the light and hope of Jesus into these areas. These opportunities are open-ended for sure, and we want to become just as wise at saying no as we are at saying yes. People groups in our neighborhoods include those who don't speak English, uh, um, oh, I wrote that incorrectly, um, who don't speak English as a first language, and we have many people from an Asian background in our area. God has given us some connections with families who have special needs. We also have a wonderful relationship with our local schools, teachers, and administration. All these and many more are people groups God has put around us. As we move ahead, we will simply seek God's direction about where to serve. Plus, most ministry in the area doesn't even need to come from a full church program. It will happen as God gives you, your family, and your friends connections that result in sharing the gospel. All right, now the conclusion. Final page. I know we've covered a lot of information tonight, uh, but I'm going to send this document tomorrow as an email at attachment so you can look through it if desired, plus you can get it off the website, um, and you've, many of you have a hard copy in front of you right now. So let's end this way. When good things come, do you ever get worried, dreading that something bad is around the corner? Now this says a lot about our personality, but some people, when good things happen, they almost get nervous because they're like, oh man, what's going to happen next It's going to be bad? When bad things come, do you feel like you're being paid back for something or fear that things will only get worse? I know I've felt these things at times, but I want to point us in a different direction to see our thinking transformed by Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ should be the most hopeful people in the entire world. We don't fear that bad will follow good because we believe every good and perfect gift comes from God. And we don't fear when the bad comes, including the tests and trials, 
because we know God is in charge of these things and will ultimately use them to shape us for his glory. Plus, we know evil, sin, and death have ultimately been defeated on the cross and through the resurrection. So as followers of Jesus, we don't live with panic or dread. God is sovereign and is not panicking. Jesus is still building his church. The Holy Spirit is still at work. The word of God is still living and active. In a time like this, urgency is a godly response. Fear and despair are not. When I think about Emmaus, I have incredible hope. Not because of me, that's for sure, but because God is at work and we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So here's my plea. Let's choose to see our current situation as a God-given opportunity to display his glory to the world. Let's come together with hope and peace, joyfully anticipating what God is going to do in and through us. Let's commit to gospel urgency, fervent prayer, and personal spiritual renewal. Let's not despair, and let's definitely not draw back in fear. Instead, let's advance the gospel together with greater faith and resolve than ever before. Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives that is so undeserved, God, but you show us that in so many ways. God, I pray that together as a church, that we would be unified around the mission that you've given us. God, we know there are hard things to consider. They're important things to consider. But God, we know for every one of us that it begins in our own hearts with our humility before you and our humility before one another. God, that we would love, that we would forgive, that we would speak the truth in love. I thank you for the gift of the people here tonight. God, thank you for what you're going to do in the future through our church family. And so together, right now, God, we commit ourselves to you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.